0: Genesis 49, and we're going to just read verse 19, and then we'll open a word of prayer. Genesis 49 and verse 19 this morning. It says, God, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we (coughs) thank you for uh, the opportunity to come together in this place and to spend some time gathered around your word this morning. Lord, as we continue to look at uh, this prophecy here in Genesis 49, I pray that this morning (coughs) you would give us understanding of your word, understanding of the passage before us, and that Lord, you would teach us and instruct us through it. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me now through the Spirit, give me wisdom and guidance, as I speak, that, Lord, it would be your words and your thoughts this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, last Sunday we <clears throat> saw that Jacob turned his attention uh, with verse 16 and onwards. He turned his attention to the four sons born through his wife's handmaidens, Bilha and Zilpah. And he began in verse 16 by addressing the eldest of these sons, Dan. And we saw that he started out by making it clear to Dan and indeed to the other three of these sons that they were not second class sons. They were still full sons and they would receive their full birthright, their full inheritance. In verse 16 he said to Dan, he said, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And so he talked about how he tells Dan here that Uh, He will be as one of the tribes of Israel. And there was assurance for the other three as well, you know, that they were on equal footing with the other sons. Now, even though they were the sons of concubines and perhaps felt like they were lesser sons at times, they were assured of their inheritance. They would each be the father of a independent, self-governing tribe of the Commonwealth of Israel. And then Jacob went on in verse 17 to describe Dan for us as a serpent by the way an adder in the path and we looked last week and saw that this had a dual meaning it spoke about the fact that they would be small compared to the other tribes but they would be mighty small but able to defend themselves and we saw it fulfilled in particular in samson uh, the judge who came from the tribe of dan and the second meaning to that serpent by the way uh, we talked about how the serpent there pictures their deceptive and deceitful nature it pictures the fact that they would be influenced by the old serpent the devil himself and we saw that fulfilled in their bent towards idolatry and now this morning in verse 19 we see jacob turns his attention unto gad and so we read in verse 19 it says gad a troop shall overcome him but he shall overcome at the last so he turns to gad next uh, and as we've noticed before, as we've been going through Genesis chapter 49, Jacob doesn't always necessarily progress through the sons in order. And he does that again here. You see, if we were going through in order, you would expect to see Nephtali next, because he was uh, the next son born unto Bilhah. He was Dan's younger brother. But instead, we see Jacob skip ahead to the first son of Zilpah, uh, this man Gad. And we read of his birth in Genesis chapter 30. So let's just go back there as we've done with the other sons. Genesis chapter 30. <coughs> in Genesis 30, in verse 9, <coughs> it says, When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh. And she called his name Gad. Now, so here we read of his birth. Okay, Leah follows the example of her sister, follows her sister's lead. And she gives her own handmaiden unto Jacob as a wife, as a concubine, if you like. She conceives and she bears a son. And she, uh, Leah here calls his name Gad. And we read there in verse 11 that she gives him this name, declaring a troop cometh. Okay, she said, And Leah said, a troop cometh. And she called his name Gad and so his name basically means a troop cometh that's the meaning of his name and so we see that the prophecy here in genesis chapter 49 once more fits his name we've sort of seen that with the other sons as we've been going through that the the prophecy fits or alludes to the name of the son that he's talking to for instance judah if you remember his name means praise and then the prophecy about him was concerning the praise that he would receive from his brethren because of all the blessings that god would give him zebulun his name meant dwell or dwelling place and the prophecy for him was concerning the dwelling place of his tribe in the land of canaan Issachar's name means reward for labor and the prophecy concerning him was the hard-working nature of the tribe of zebul of isaica sorry dan's name meant judge or judgment <coughs> no, judge or judgment and we saw last week that this was fulfilled in Samson okay Uh, he judged his people and so the prophecies concerning the sons have often if you like been a play on words of the meaning of their names and the same is true here once more with Gad. okay this prophecy unto Gad, whose name means a troop cometh the prophecy is concerning a troop coming against him and so we see this play on words once more but there is more Uh, even more wordplay here that's not actually evident to us in the English translation you see in the Hebrew four of the six words in this verse are all a form uh, some form of the word gad they're all related to this this word gad Uh, Butler writes this the words translated troop and the two words translated overcome all start with the same Hebrew letter and all come from the same root the same root from which we get the name gad. And so they're all very similar words. And because of this, you know, we could literally translate this verse here if you wanted to. We could translate it gad a troop shall troop upon him and he shall troop at the last. If you wanted to translate it very literally, you could translate it like that. Because that is what each mean alludes to, each word alludes to. They're all very similar words. And so the prophecy here is really in the form of a triple alliteration of Uh, Gad's name okay and the prophecy is very clearly divided into two parts and we're going to consider those two parts here this morning Uh, the first section uh, if you like is concerning the coming of troubles and so that's our first point this morning the coming of troubles let's just look there again verse 19 it starts out by saying gad a troop shall overcome him so he starts out by telling him that a troop shall overcome him. Of course, he's talking about the tribe that bears his name. A troop shall overcome him. And the word troop here in this context speaks about raiders or an army. And so Jacob is declaring that raiders will raid the tribe of Gad. They will constantly invade them, constantly come against them. This is a prophecy that Gad would find themselves to be constantly under threat from invading forces once they had settled in the land. and they would indeed at times even find themselves to be overcome by the enemy. Okay, he says a troop shall overcome and so even at times they would feel overcome, pressed down, subdued by the enemy. The point is that this uh, that Jacob is declaring to Gad that a very difficult future lay ahead for the tribe bearing his name. They were not going to have an easy time when they came into their allotment of land. And we see that the fulfillment of this prophecy was due to their location in the land of Canaan. Because you see, when Gad arrived in the land with the other tribes, they chose to remain on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They didn't cross over with the other tribes. They wanted a portion on the east instead of on the western side of the Jordan River. Which meant that they were separated, of course, from the majority of the nation. We read of their inheritance in Joshua chapter 13. Let's just go there. (coughs) Excuse me. Joshua 13. In Joshua 13, verse 24, it says, Moses gave inheritance unto the tribe of Gad, even unto the children of Gad, according to their families. And their coast was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the children of Ammon unto Arur that is before Rabah. And from Heshbon unto Ramoth Mizpeh and Beth-Omim, uh, Nim, sorry, and from Mahanaim unto the border of Deber, And in the valley of Betharim and beth Nimrah, and Sarkoth and Saphon, uh, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, Jordan and his border, even unto the edge of the sea of Chinareth, on the other side, Jordan, eastward. This is an inheritance of the children of Gad after their families, the cities, and their villages. So what Joshua 13 describes for us is a portion of land that is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they settled in this portion of land that he says there in verse 25, he says it includes of the land of the ammonites he says half the land of the children of Ammon. you see the point is because they were on the other side of the the jordan river okay and of course reuben settled there too and half the tribe of Manasseh, so they weren't alone okay but because they settled on the other side of the jordan they didn't cross over with everyone else not only were they separated from the majority but they were actually closer to these enemy uh, nations they were in close proximity to the moabites the midianites but most importantly, they were close to the Ammonites. They had a border that they shared with the nation of Ammon. And as we said there in verse 25, part of their land used to belong to the children of Ammon. Okay, so in verse 25, and their coast was Jazer and the city, all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the children of Ammon. And so they inherited a portion of land that at one time in history did belong to Ammon. And so we can imagine the response that that provoked from the Ammonites throughout history. They wanted this land back. They wanted it back. And so as a result, the Ammonites in particular constantly came against the tribe of Gad. They constantly invaded. They constantly seeked to gain control once more of this region. we see one of those occasions recorded for us in Judges chapter 10. Let's go there. Judges chapter 10 and verse 6 it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord, and served not him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years all the children of Israel that were on the other side Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore, distressed. Verse 8, it talks about the fact that the, the, the tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan River were subdued for 18 years. And of course, that includes Gad. They were overcome for 18 years by the Ammonites; they subdued them, they pressed them down. They were in control of this region, having invaded, and the Lord allowed them to be overcome at this time. We also see the Ammonites come against um, one of the towns of Gad in the the reign of King Saul. Let's just go over to First Samuel chapter eleven, <coughs> just to see a few examples of when the Ammonites came against them. First Samuel eleven and. Just verse 1, it says, Then Naash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Naash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve the Naash the Ammonite. Answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right, right eyes and lay if for a reproach upon all Israel. And so here in the reign of King Saul, we see the Ammonites come across. So They come against Jabesh Gilead, which is in the region of the tribe of Gad. And so again, the Ammonites were one of these nations oppressing them, seeking to overcome. And then later on in Jeremiah chapter 49, we read a prophecy against the Ammonites because they had seized the land of Gad. Let's just go over there, Jeremiah 49. (coughs) Now we're turning to a few passages this morning. (coughs) Jeremiah 49 and verse 1 says concerning the ammonites thus saith the lord hath israel no sons hath he no heir why then doth their king inherit gad and his people dwell in his cities and so here in jeremiah 49 the lord gives this prophecy against the ammonites why because they had seized the land that belonged to gad they had taken it as if it had no owner Now, of course, this is after the northern tribes have gone into captivity. And so Gad is one of them. But in the eyes of God, the land still belonged to Gad. It was still their possession. And Ammon here is going to be judged because they'd seized, overcome their land, this portion of land that was given to Gad. So the point is that right throughout their history, we've only looked at a few occasions here relating in particular to Ammon. But right throughout their history, Gad found a troop coming against them. They were constantly under threat because of their close proximity to these enemy nations. These enemy nations seeking to overcome them, seeking to oppress them, to take their land from them. And in particular, the Ammonites were the ones seeking to do this. And the effect of these constant attacks against them, you know, these constant attacks from the enemies, was that the tribe of Gad actually developed a reputation of being fierce warriors themselves. They actually ended up with a really good reputation. You see, rather than just giving in, rather than just surrendering and letting you know, the Ammonites have their land or whoever else that was coming, instead of just surrendering, simply giving in, they actually became fierce warriors themselves. They defended their land. They fought Sorry to hold on to what God had given them. And Moses alluded to this trait in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Let's go over there. (coughs) In Deuteronomy 33, Moses says this to the tribe of Gad. He says, and of Gad, he said, blessed be he that enlargeth Gad, he, he dwelleth as a lion, and teareth the arm with the crown of the head. And he provided the first part for himself, because there, in a portion of the lawgiver, was he seated. And he came with the heads of the people, and executed the justice of the Lord, and his judgments with Israel. In verse 20 there it says, He dwelleth as a lion, and teareth the arm with the crown of the head. And so Moses here prophetically describes. Um, the, the tribe of Gad, using the imagery of a lion tearing the arm and tearing the head of its prey. You see, he speaks here with this imagery, he's speaking of the boldness, the courage that this tribe would have in the face of the enemy. Even though the Ammonites were right on their border and constantly threatening them, they wouldn't cower before them. They wouldn't just cower and give up. Instead, they would be like a fierce lion, in its dwelling place defending its home defending its region and we see this this trait revealed later on during david's days as a fugitive go to first chronicles chapter 12 with me first chronicles 12 first chronicles 12 verse 8 it says, of the Gadites, they separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for the battle. They could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as the roes upon the mountains. Now, this is during the time that David is at Ziglag, and the, the Gadites here they come out to join David. And they're described here as being men of might, men of war, men who can handle the shield and the buckler. The point is that these words speak of the fact that these are brave, highly trained warriors. This is a a commendation of them. They are highly trained, skilled warriors. They're not weaklings who ran from the fights. You see, the years of defending their territory had built a hardness in them. It had strengthened them as a tribe It had prepared them for the fight. One commentator wrote this, Gad graduated from the proverbial school of hard knocks. His hard experiences produced a toughness that only hard times can bring. See, even though they were in this difficult situation where this troop was constantly seeking to overcome, they didn't just surrender. They fought back and they became strong through it all. You know, as we consider the prophecy concerning Gad this morning, we consider their, their hostile location that they were dwelling in. Consider the constant attacks that would come against them. You know, we're reminded about our own situation as believers, aren't we not? You know, we as believers today, like Gab, we dwell in a hostile land. We are told that we will face persecution. We will face attacks against us as believers. John 15, Christ warned us that the world will hate us because it hated him first. Let's go there, John 15. In John 15 and verse 18, it says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I s- said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You now Christ warned us very clearly. He said the world hates him and he says, and they'll hate you. Just like the world hated him, they hate us. Even today, persecution from this hostile world in which we live is something we should expect. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We should expect these forces to seek to overcome. A troop seeking to overcome us, just like God. We're in a hostile land. You know, Paul spoke about this to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's turn there, 2 Timothy 3. As I said, we're going to... Turned to a lot of passages this morning, so bear with me. <laughs> Second Timothy with you three this morning. And verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise under salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures give my inspiration of God. is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished under all good works. You know, in verse 12 there, Paul says to young Timothy, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Very similar to what Christ said. He says we, we shall suffer persecution. If we live for the Lord, expect that persecution to come. And indeed, it's only going to get worse as we approach the return of Christ. It's not going to get better. The world is not going to get better. The world is going to get worse. The persecution is going to get worse. The attacks are going to get worse. He declares in verse 13 there, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse. This world is on a a collision course with the tribulation. And the judgment that's coming and so the world is getting worse the attacks against us as the body of christ believers is going to get worse as we approach the return of our lord you know butler writes this he says as a christian we should not be surprised at the troop of troubles when living in this world for like the gadites we have gained ground for god and that will be contested by the enemy of our soul we've gained ground for the lord and so we're not surprised that the enemy is attacking seeking to tear us down destroy our testimony destroy our faith get us to cower in a corner and give up of course it's not just physical attacks that we face it's a spiritual battle isn't it primarily it's a spiritual battle and leading those spiritual attacks is none other than the devil himself first peter chapter 5 again we know these verses well but first peter 5 <clears throat> and verse 8 it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world now Peter here says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking to destroy us seeking to devour us he's seeking to destroy our testimony for the lord seeking to get us to question our faith seeking us to to give up to cower in a corner we're told here we're told to resist steadfast in the faith that's what we're holding on to is the faith the truth of god's word the gospel message we got to resist steadfast see like the gadites rather than cowering in the corner under the attacks of the world on the attacks of the devil we are to stand fast resist steadfast in the faith and of course we do that by putting on the whole armor of god ephesians 6 that's what paul tells us isn't he he says you know we need to put on the whole armor of god so we might be able to stand in the day of battle be prepared like the tribe of gad be prepared to resist these attacks that come against us stand firm and fight in this spiritual battle, to hold the ground for the Lord until He comes. And that brings us to the second part of this prophecy. Jacob tells them they will have troubles coming. Then he tells them secondly that they will ultimately overcome. The promise of overcoming. The promise of overcoming. Go back there again to verse 19 of chapter 49. It says, God, a troop shall overcome Him, but He shall overcome at the last now the first part of the prophecy jacob sort of gave a a grim future didn't he he told them that they were going to have trouble as a tribe constant attacks constant raids against their land and at times they would be overcome subdued oppressed but here in the second half of the prophecy there is this wonderful promise that ultimately gad will overcome They will overcome at the last. It's a wonderful promise that they will ultimately have the victory. You know, earlier we turned to Jeremiah 49, and we saw a prophecy of judgment against Ammon, because they had seized the land that belonged unto Gad. And if we read on in that prophecy, we see that Jeremiah prophesies there that there is a day coming when Gad will possess the land of Ammon once more. Go over there, Jeremiah 49. <clears throat> Jeremiah 49. We'll start in verse 1 again. <clears throat> it says, Concerning the Ammonites, thus saith the Lord Hath Israel no sons? Hath he no heir? Why then doth their king inherit Gad, and his people dwell in his cities? Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will cause an alarm of war to be heard in Rabbah of the Ammonites. And it shall be a desolate heap, and her daughters shall be burned with fire. Then shall Israel be heir unto them that were his heirs, saith the Lord. And we could keep reading on. But verse 2 makes it very clear that God is going to bring a judgment against Ammon. He's going to destroy their great cities like Rabbah. And he's going to return the land to the rightful heir of Israel. The heir, of course, is Gad. He's going to return it back into Gad's hands once more. He's going to return it back to Gad. It's, it's their land and God says in the future it will be restored. Now, of course, um, you know, the, the, the nation of Ammon doesn't exist anymore. The, that judgment has already come against them. They are attacked by the Babylons. They, Babylonians. Sorry, they've been destroyed in that sense that judgments come but the restoration of the land of gad is still future you know today that land is owned by jordan jordan owns that land but the day is coming when the tribe of gad will overcome at the last they will possess their inheritance they will enter into it they will possess the land that was promised to them And of course, we know this will take place in the millennial kingdom when Christ is on the throne. In Isaiah 11 and verse 14, it tells us that in that day, the children of Ammon shall obey them. In that day, the children of Ammon will submit to their authority because Christ is on the throne. And and Gad will have their land once more and Ammon will be under them. They will overcome them. The children of Ammon will obey them. You know, once more, as we consider this wonderful pro- prophecy here of ultimate victory, you know, we're reminded about our own spiritual battle that we face. You know, like, like God, we're, we're told that we are going to face tribulation. We're going to face persecution. We're going to face these hardships. But we're also, like God, given the wonderful promise that we will overcome at the last. Go to 1 John 5 with me. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We have this promise of victory here, that we will overcome. Why? Because we are born again. Because we're born again, we will overcome the world. Now, this is possible because Christ, our Savior, has himself already overcome the world. John 16. Let's just quickly go there. John chapter 16. <clears throat> John 16 and verse 33. Christ says this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Now Christ, he tells his disciples, he says, you're going to have tribulation in the world. And then he says, but be of good cheer. Why? Because he has already overcome the world. Christ has already won the victory. And we share in that victory through faith in him. We're born again. And through him, we overcome the world and nothing can ever change that. Romans 8 speaks about the wonderful truth that nothing can ever separate us from His love. Just turn there, Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 35, it says, but what, I'm sorry, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? she be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It speaks about the wonderful truth that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can take away from us what we now have in Christ. As verse 37 there declares, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In all these things. You know, whatever trial, whatever persecution, whatever affliction may come against us, we can rest assured that we will overcome in the end through Him that loves us. And you know, of course, that final glorious victory for us as believers will come when Christ takes us home to be with Him. You know, in that day, the suffering, the affliction, the persecution, the spiritual battle will all be over when we see Christ and we receive a new and glorified body. Just turn back lastly to First Peter 5. Where we were earlier, First Peter 5. <coughs> Let's read from verse 8 again. I just want to read on from there. But verse 8 says, But be so vigilant, Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make ye perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you to him with glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. know, Peter says that, yes, in this life we face and we have to resist steadfast in the faith, the onslaught of the devil, the onslaught of the world, but after we have suffered a little while, he will make us perfect. Receive that glorified body. We'll spend eternity with him. You see, beloved, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Let's close in the word of prayer. Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the tribe of God and the, the prophecy, Lord, of the hardship that they would face. But Lord, we thank you that they didn't cower in a corner and give up. They fought to hold on to what you've given them. And Lord, you gave them the wonderful promise of ultimate victory that they would overcome at the last. And Lord, as we look at the tribe of Gab, we see a picture of us as believers, Lord, in the world today in a hostile place. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as those attacks become more frequent against the faith, against uh, what we stand for, against what you stand for. Lord, you would help us to realize that we will overcome at the last. Help us to be faithful until we see Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.